Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. A contract with God. Will Eisner's debut graphic novel is under the microscope today, but first I want to invite you guys to like, follow, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please hit that bell icon so that we can notify you when new videos are available, and that helps mitigate the kayfabe effect, which is what happens whenever we show a book uh, early in the day. By midday, early afternoon, if the book is no longer in print, it is prohibitively expensive uh, online. Uh, the version of A Contract with God we're using is this trilogy uh, that was published by Norton some years back that includes uh, Dropsy Avenue and Life Force. Um, also, if you watch these videos to the very end, uh, that helps push our YouTube content out to comic book loving YouTube viewers who have not yet subscribed to the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. We're trying to grow these numbers in a massive way, man. It's nice that we hit 61,000, uh, but we're on the road to uh, 6.1 million, so we're barely, uh, we've barely scratched the surface for the amount of subscribers that we're trying to build. Uh, Jimmy, can we jump into things, man? Absolutely, yes. Contract with God came out, what, 1978, something like this, man? After a full long career where uh, Will Eisner, after the spirit, spent 20, 30 years doing instructional pamphlets and educational comics for a while, built his nest egg up a little bit to uh, bet on himself a touch, and on spec, created this comic, looked for a house for the thing, and to this day, man, you could show me the name of that publisher, and I always forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did that uh, Miller-Eisner interview book recently, went through all of it. I uh, encourage everybody to go check that out. But you get a lot of background on where he was at when he was creating this stuff, and that this book then stays in print for the next pretty much, I don't know, 40 years at this point, uh, which is really impressive. Doesn't Double-digit uh, language translations, things of that nature, really built a publishing model around this that's probably as interesting as the idea of it being a quote-unquote graphic novel, but quite visionary in the idea that this is going to be packaged as a book and sold in bookstores to adult readers. Yeah. You know, like upon this, this rereading, uh, I was thinking of the idea of a graphic novel and that, you know, this is a collection of stories that happen basically in the same universe, though there are or tangential connections at best, but it wouldn't be so hard to turn it into a novel, you know, like have all these characters intertwined in some, some little way. It's, it, it's so close to being a novel. This is packaged with Life Force and Dropsy Avenue. And in a way, as you package them because they're set in the same location yeah. and stuff, it becomes more of a novel the more he continues to explore this one patch of ground uh, across time. Yeah. And that part's interesting. But, you know, the other takeaway I have is Eisner credited with being a visionary, and rightfully so. Every day, every year, I feel like that vision of a graphic novel becomes more accurate. Like, I mean, this is, look, two years ago, the book market takes over the, from the direct market in terms of sales in what we call comics in North America. And it's like, it's based on work of this sort. Mm -hmm. Books with a spine. Yeah. We should just jump right into yes. things, man. Uh, page one right here. Uh, this is in comics in sequential art and when he breaks things down I always remember this piece man uh, when he breaks it down It's in the lettering portion of comics in sequential art. I believe and he talks about the kind of soggy drenched uh, Lettering and how it affects like the lettering below it These are really beautiful in this first story and especially the first several pages of it almost like a picture book Yeah, you know um, four pieces of a contract with God four short stories 
and they're all a little bit different in, in sort of the details and how they're executed. And I don't know if this was the one that was done first in terms of his production and idea for this, but it's interesting to see him doing like, well, how does a graphic novel or a book for adults using comics language look? And it's kind of cool. It, it really feels like a picture book as we're getting into it. It's almost like baby steps into this language for, for say, a new reader or somebody that isn't versed in comics. What a drawer. Huh? Oh, man. Like just so organic, <clears throat> so full of life, so full of bounce, almost like, you know, the courtroom artist kind of mark making really integrates your text nicely. I think that was something he talked about in that Miller-Eisner book was trying to figure that piece out, um, you know, how to how to make that look appropriate for, again, a mature audience, and uh, just nails it. I mean, these pages, you mentioned like that drippy, wet kind of feeling. The best rain in comics. <laughs> in a medium known for really good rain, it's extraordinary. I would marvel at this stuff when I was first, like, seeing this work. Just you know, capturing wet on yeah. textures and stuff like that. Really immaculate drawing. And this first story, this is kind of our title story. This is from Hirsch, and uh, he's the, he's our guy that has the contract with God. And uh, we get some of his origin as we go through here, but it opens in that rain. He has, has just come back from the funeral of his young daughter. Yeah, and by the way, like, when you first see this guy, the beard and all, he, he must li have lived to be 150 because he already looks like an old-ass man right here. He has a whole nother life as as a as a full grown man. Setting up the the uh, apartment it has all the necessary pieces. Like I feel like I could smell that room. Eisner's drawings of New York, inside and outside these buildings, phenomenal. A incredible. He, he talks it's, about impressionism, it, but I mean, it just feels like you say that you could that you can really imagine being in that space. Down to like little details, like the ornate mm -hmm. sort of wood woodwork. Definitely. Yeah, even like little entrances, the way the windows are constructed. I was thinking no Adam saying reference a window. No one knows how to draw a window. He does it's a good like, window. It's, it's great. This is the stuff that reminds me of like the play, the idea of plays where it's like you just need the corner of the table or the lamp or, you know, one window, one side of the room is enough to establish that whole setting. He's using a lot of material, a lot of tools, man, to get the lines on the page. There's clear use of brush, usually on the big figure, but certainly lots of pen. Yeah, a lot of pen. And I always think of him as a brush guy. You hear stories about him and, you know, having these sable hair brushes for decades. But there's a lot of pen work on these pages. Yeah. Going back in time now to the uh, the old country. Really interesting to me. This is this is our young uh, Hirsch, you know, as a young man. And his parents die, leaving him basically an orphan in this village. And the he's like a child to the childless is what they call it, as opposed to like the village raising him. He's sort of functioning as like bringing firewood to maybe these older people that don't have somebody to help take care of them. And it's a total reversal how we think of, I, I think, how kids are depicted in our culture today. Yeah, yeah he's earning his way. And, yes. and, and you think about that stuff like, uh, like you know, my grandparents... I, I, Neither set of grandparents finished high school. Like during the Great Depression, they had to win some bread uh, when they when they were young, man. I, yeah, I mean, my, my dad, 10 siblings, and they lived on a farm, and my grandfather worked full-time for the railroad, and they still maintain this farm. Like your kids were sort of the employees, uh, you know, contributing to the household. Here he is making his contract with God. Carving it on a stone, writing writing it down on a stone. A religious, uh, you know, he's he's religious throughout most of his life. Yeah, trying to live right. They cobble money together and send a boy to New York. Man, there's nothing left for him there. The the town keeps getting wrecked by way of war. 
Uh, so they cobble the last bit of loot together because they, they think of him as like, like you're the representative of, of our small village. You have the best shot. We're old. Get out of here. Yeah, these stories of like people coming to America like this with virtually nothing. I mean, I think that was a common story for a couple generations. Again, impossible for me to think about as being like that that would be something you would go through. Yeah, absolutely. He ends up adopting this this child that's left on his doorstep. It's it's not his biological daughter, but nobody can't find a home for her basically because nobody knows her origin. So he ends up taking her on as his daughter and that's the daughter who when the story opens, he's just buried. And in the introduction, Will Eisner says he lost a 16-year-old. His daughter was 16, died from leukemia, which mm. is a story I had not heard before reading this introduction. It's not something that he talked about much. And it happened years before this story, but he said he'd never really dealt with it, you know, so it was still on his mind. And, and you know, a lot of elements of this comic are presented as if they are autobio to some extent. You know, memories of his from, from growing up in a similar situation but you know these elements that find their way in there are bits i mean if it feels real in a lot of, you have your melodrama throughout and stuff like that man but like there's there's a lot of this that just feels like it would be tough to make up uh just you know as a cartoonist who sits around drawing all day it just has like certain kinds of nuance that feels lived in this two this two page spread here I, I think is really uh reflective of his theater stuff we often think yeah. about like limited props but look at the lighting on this yeah you know in addition to kind of like his props and staging and body language which is on display everywhere the lighting is really a, a third uh element that, that comes that, that shines throughout this story as a visual motif when when uh, our guys speaking with god you get lots of thunderclaps and lightning so that's that's an important piece. Look at the atmosphere, dude. Just mm -hmm. just the way you decide to put those lines down creates wind. Make note of that. Look at these windows, dude. Like, uh, yeah, there's no cocking around those seams. No, no. Your candle will blow out when you walk by that window. <laughs> and this is him pretty much disavowing the religious life that he's led, saying that uh, God let him down. You know, he maintained his contract. But uh, why Why would he take his daughter? Yeah. Did good works, all that stuff, man. Spits on the contract. Chucks that shit the hell out. And it is Chekhov's contract because, you know, you get this page and then it's like, oh, there's no payoff. But there's a payoff. And we have like eight days of raining following this. Flooding in, in New York here all around the building. Literally turning his back on the light. And it's like... I'm going to go into business for myself, man. Cleans up, looking like a fat cat. Yeah, this is also Eisner playing with types. You know, right. visually, how can you represent this? Reminds me of the uh, Jaime wrestling book we looked at recently where it's like, what makes a heel or a face? You know, like we know a lot about this guy when he puts on his shaves and puts on that costume. And it's the same dude. Look at the body language here compared to there. Yes, even, and, even that feels and, uh, thoughtful. But tell me when you put a suit on, man, you don't stand up a little taller. That's it, right. It happens, man. Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by the comic books that we make uh, out right now, man. Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue one, two, three, and potentially issue number four. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game in Red Rube Comics. Every issue is completely self-contained, so when you see these comics out in the wild, scoop it up. You're going to get a full experience, and if you dig it, go grab another issue by Jim Rugg. 
a Hulk Grand Design Monster, Hulk Grand Design Madness. The man takes 300 issues of Incredible Hulk per issue and crams them into a succinct 40-page story, an incredible romp that encompasses all of the best hits from Incredible Hulk lore. In stores now, scoop up these books. Now that we're done paying the bills, back to the video. And he's shifting into um, real estate mogul mode. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's going into business, man. So he's actually got to do a little kayfabe to get that first opportunity. And he doesn't shit it, shit it away. It actually works out. And that seems like a little scam that, like, you got to know somebody who knows somebody who, who did such a thing, man. Uh, make, I want to make note of, like, the sepia um, inks on the kind of cream paper. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as as time goes on, like these kinds of stories, like the people who could tell these stories in that accurate, nuanced way, they're all dying. They're all gone. This contract with God is becoming more and more important as the years go by. And even when I first read it in late 90s, early 2000s, that cream paper and that sepia, it just made it feel like of that time. It's almost like the first example uh, it might not be the first graphic novel, but it might be the first example of like graphic design playing a part in in the storytelling of uh, of the you know the comic that's being presented. Yeah, it's a good point because there are still comics being done today that don't give that much attention to the design. Yeah, not at all. Like like <laughs> like most don't most don't for sure, man. But this like that like it's just it's really tastefully. His, even his approach to these page layouts where it's, we're not getting hard panel borders, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 smart, you know, the work is just so smart in that way. That ability to kind of like have your narrative text along with your text within the panels, um, it fits good, it looks good, you know, it reads. See, this is one of those examples where with just a little bit more, and it makes me wonder like where he was with the writing of this, like did he kind of do it? sort of one at a time or something because all you have to do is make this the super from the super comic and, and now now it's you know it's the story of the building you yeah, know this, very is, true. this is building stories number one 55 dropsy avenue and he's a uh he's a kind of a slumlord in a way man like uh, not in a way <laughs> I, I think that's exactly what he is you know he's given the super instructions he wants to raise the rent um the super sort of the bad guy right the face of the uh the, the unknown owner of the building, you know, whenever he decides he's going to do an unpopular policy, it's up to the super to actually do carry it out, which just sucks. Like the way the supers are presented really interesting as this character, again, this character type, you know, I don't have any real experience with this kind of thing of living in an apartment building with a super on the premises, totally foreign to me. I only know it from movies and books and things like that. But he makes these characters somewhat sympathetic. They're a cog in the wheel. Yeah, they live in the basement apartment. It's not like they're doing great by this job where pretty much everyone in the building hates them. Yeah, but hey, he has free room. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about free. Right next to the boilers. <laughs> yeah, right. Right away from the daylight. So he builds up his parcels, man. Like yes, he, very he, successful. He, he owns buildings on Dropsy Ave. And uh, <laughs> look at this. This is also the first time I ever were, read uh, Shiksa, which is the female version of a Shagitz, which is to say uh, Goyum or Gentile, perhaps. Wow. <laughs> and he's like a straight up pimp looking dude. He's got his, you know, this, this girl might be the age of his daughter that, that passed away. 
you know? It, the, the drawing throughout this whole thing is phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's shifting from like these, this, this by the way, could be a face right out of a Frank Miller's City the, comic. That's the I one mean, I was thinking right about. Right out of it. But, you know, you look at like, oh, here's a long shot where we're getting these full figures and they're cartoons, but they're also beautifully drawn. Like like one line, I always looked at that Joe Kubert uh, school ad of Tarzan where it was like two lines to draw Tarzan. Right. It feels like that with these two characters standing here. Those legs are like three lines for the legs. The fur coat is just those dashes. And also each of those pieces of clothing, they tell you something about the success of these characters. It does, you know, yeah. This is, this is upper middle class, uh, you know, upper class kind of characters based on how they're drawn and not much else, you know, like a couple of props into, in terms of their costuming and uh, you're, you can just assume a lot. Real, uh, real archetype or should we say stereotype like this yeah. is this is a flapper ditz bimbo who's just you know a trophy true. wife yeah yeah totally man and when it, we go back to home she wants to still have fun man but he's like listen i got things i'm thinking about look at the silhouette just beautiful and it bleeds into the next it even mirrors things like your window frame. You know, it's almost that same shape, almost religious iconography. This is your great classic uh, windows as panels. Yeah, yeah. And, and also and they're in separate. Splitting the couple. <laughs> classic. Uh, it's it's also that classic maneuver with those like midlife crisis fellas who realize like that maybe just having a trophy wife, someone half your age, whatnot, maybe maybe that doesn't do it. And he, and he expresses that really well because the story here is you know, Frim, our main character, unhappy with life after his daughter dies, goes this other direction, still unhappy. Like, mm -hmm. the unhappiness comes through crystal clear. Look at that piece of body language right there. That says a lot, huh? Dude, there's a couple of women's hands in this book that are just to die for. It's that thing. Like, you got to have the balls to make those little claws. <laughs> right? True. Like That's what they look tips. like. But again, so just wrong. so elegant. No extra lines. It's like one line for each finger. And here he goes, man. He's he's coming back. He's coming back to to religion and uh, puts most of the parcels back to uh, in the name of the church because he used church funds to kayfabe the bank into like giving him the original loan. So he's turning it back in with interest. He wants them to fashion him a fresh contract with God and they take it seriously, man. Yeah, he, I mean, he shows up with a lot of money. You know, it's uh, it could do a lot of good in the church, no doubt about it. And they're going to try to give him what he wants. And why not? He seems sincerely interested in this, right? Probably more than your average religious person who just grows up with religion and never leaves it or questions it. You know, like this guy's kind of had a full range of life and he's coming back to it. Right. Rumspringer. Yeah. <laughs> Several pages of the elders going back and forth. Interesting to thing. see them having their own sort of dilemmas, like how do we manage this? And he seems happy. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this right here. This is that stuff where it's like, wait, Will, when you're talking about your highfalutin stuff, maybe you don't have the guy biting the contract. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. Uh, but in terms of expression, you know, if you take away sort of that part of it, it really comes across as like this guy's demeanor has changed. Yeah. Th this has given him the hope that he's been looking for. The ceilings have risen, man. He's no longer the tenant there at Dropsy F. And as one could have predicted, man, 
he's sitting there talking to God and God strikes him down with vengeance and furious anger. Yeah, it feels like an uh, Alanis Morissette song. <laughs> <laughs> the lightning destroys Dropsy Avenue, all except for 55 Dropsy. Real estate tycoon dies. Boom. And we have the epilogue, Chekhov's contract with God. Look at some of this stuff. This is uh, that lightning strike you're talking about, burning down most of the buildings around. But like these dashes of line of like ash burning off the buildings. What a contrast with some of the atmosphere that we've seen up to this point with the rains and the clouds. And the smoke making the panel border, kind of. It's phenomenal. And what do we have? Another little outsider kid shows up in Dropsy Avenue. He's uh, having problems with some of the locals there. Stands up for himself. Whenever the, the bullies come calling, man, he's slinging rocks at them to keep them at bay. I love seeing uh, the, the planes delineated with light like this. This is something I try to pay attention to more and more lately, man, where you see how the character's bent, the light's hitting the back, and you just put some lines there. It adds so much depth, man. Oh, he's yeah. so good at that. Definitely. And also nice the characters facing this way, going the other way whenever he's now throwing the rock back. Yeah. You know, fa face one way to pick up the rock turn the other way once you throw it the drapery fascinates me usually around the folds of the knees because he, like nobody draws them like him except for like maybe uh, jack davis would kind of do that and yes. it makes it makes me wonder about like the starch in those pants or, like it's like a stiffer material or something it's kayfabe folds it, it looks is amazing folds. but it's it's definitely a shorthand not like a reference it doesn't feel like it's being referenced every now and then though man those folds lay you know it's it's really sharp and, of course, in the process of, of throwing rocks, he finds the contract with God and, and kind of carries on that legacy. Yeah, man. So, like, like that classic uh, Jack Davis, Two-Fisted Tales story, man, where the revolver changes from hand to hand. Two, the street singer. What a range in terms of stories. Like, yeah. if you're just trying out this new format, there are some big leaps. And, and, you know, I think that the difference in tone of each of these stories is one of those big leaps. I feel like this sentence right here is the impetus for the whole story, man. Like, imagine being a little dude and you hear these fucking drunks out, out in the alley singing. No one knew much about them. And it's a little boy with imagination dealing with this. I think he's coming up with some things. You know what's incredible? If you're looking at the, you know, I'm, I'm sitting off to the side looking at this. It's almost like these are your vertical buildings. Like we've seen that drawn a hundred times where these are your, your vanishing lines are back here somewhere and this is street level. And then you realize you're actually looking down from the top. Yeah. It's such a cool, you know, like that's the fastball. When I think of Will Eisner and having his fastball, it's like, that's an such an inventive page layout. There are some incredible compositions that we're going to see throughout this story uh, in, in particular that are worth pointing out. You mentioned people throwing stuff down at him and everything. The intro Eisner talks about, again, this is real memories that he had. And he'd throw a penny out, but some guys would throw out, they'd wrap something in paper, and then the guy would go unwrap it to see what the coin was, and it wasn't anything. <laughs> it was like just kids messing with him. But of course, how else could it go? And somebody recognizes that his voice has talent, this old washed up singer. She sees a, a star in the making there. <laughs> yeah, she does, man. Her career was cut short with a uh, bad marriage to a, a wife beater who is no longer with her. And uh, she's going to turn this guy's career into a career. That almost looks like Will Eisner. 
<laughs> this one right here. You know what? I was looking at her face. It's so interesting because you don't see a face like that too often. You know, we, we often talk about cartoonists, monthly cartoonists have like two, you know, a man face, a woman face. This is such character. And it reminds me of like some of the European graphic novels I've seen where it looks like, oh yeah, they're, they're drawing people all the time. Right. And, uh, and you get as a result, different faces, different cast. Love seeing how he builds these hands, man. Great hands. She's laying it on thick. I'm going to teach you. We got to come up with a fresh name for you. And this dude ain't saying one word. He's just accepting all of her kindness, man. Hook me up with some food. Hook me up with some shower. And then she, he's about to get that handy piece <laughs> right there, man. Sex is handled pretty interesting throughout this, uh, this whole book. We're going to see a lot of different versions of sex and with, a, again, a wide variety of characters making up that cast. Reading this as a kid, too, man, and, like... Will Eisner was always old to me, and sure. it felt extra like dirty or gross <laughs> to be like thinking about like a super old dude like drawing like sex scenes. He's busting that thing out, and see, she gave him all those promises even before he hit it. It still hasn't said one word to the lady. No. These kind of compositions, dude, fucking sick. The draw some of the drawings of the buildings remind me of Farrell Dalrymple mm -hmm. because like I, when I met Farrell he was living in New York for I don't know a decade or so and it and a guy that would just draw you know yeah. if you see his sketchbooks draws all the time and it kind of had that quality and uh, and I see that in Eisner where it was like I bet that that's just a dude that drew his whole life and happened to live in the city so they're so organic even though it's like cities you know urban you you think it'd be more straight edges but it's not you start to get the impression uh, that. It's just another day in this dude's life. Like, he's used to this. Because he isn't tra treating it with any kind of great, like, thankfulness or anything. It's just a Tuesday. No. And she is getting, booking the tour. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's calling her old agent or whatever, manager. What can we get this guy to play at? Start getting him reps. Such gorgeous figures, man. Yeah. Nice page layout again, you know, open panel. Feels like real weight on her feet standing there. Is this Prohibition? I don't know, because he ends up at a bar. Yeah. When's Prohibition in? Late late 20s? Yeah. Early 30s? Yeah, I guess this would probably be after that. But of course, he gets a gets a nice payout from that lady, and what's he do? Buys as much whiskey as he can. Like $15 <laughs> on whiskey and $5 for the family to live on? That's right. And man, this guy's a scumbag, right? Beating his wife, throwing his baby. <laughs> yeah. And Living it's kind of the man. same story that our singer, the, the lady singer, tells him about her husband who was abusive and thankfully he's passed on now. And then we follow this new singer back to his house. Same kind of scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. She was a dancer, like on a, like a show dancer. Mm -hmm. Married an accountant. Lost her career <laughs> as she joined this guy and what she get for it. The quality and expression of these faces, uh, and it it's on a lot of his female faces, uh, from this this time like there's a i think in life force there's some pages that were uh uh excerpted in comics and sequential art and i remember thinking like that he was drawn in anime style yeah it's a good point even like the dude figures the it's very minimal some of the lines that he needs to make an expressive face even when it's small <laughs> crazy bust a bottle over his head and that's all he's worried about is his uh, precious bottle. You broke my bottle. 
goes into the local bar. Guy doesn't want to serve him because, of course, his, uh, he's, a, he's a street singer. Like, he's definitely got a tab that he's not paying most of the time. But he's on the up and up, man. He's got this new manager. He's, he's going to turn this thing around if he can only remember where she lives. <laughs> right. Yeah, all those alleys look the same. And then the guy's like, God damn it, you yeah. did it to me again. <laughs> Suckered the bartender again. <laughs> you get the impression that that happens routinely. It's It's like... All of this is a day in a life, man. Stuff that he's used to. How about that body language, dude? I guess that was a, a sign uh, even back then. Yeah, it's been around. That's great. Very Jack Davis. Very Jack Davis with those feet, feet, especially. Mm -hmm. Classic move, man. You know, full-on full cartooning. Yeah, pretty easy to follow this story, even if you're not reading it. But it is fun with these kinds of characters, like Comic Relief bringing the bartender... And now he's out looking for where was that? They sing in a different <laughs> sings in a different alley every day, and uh, he's kind of back to the back to the nowhere where he started. I feel like these pages are courageously drawn with this kind of stuff, man. Uh, he like he he's Will Eisner's proven himself already, so he can do that kind of thing, you know. Like like that would be tough. It would be, and we've talked about uh, grids all the time you can break this into yeah. like six panels of action, you know, combining the words as being like beats in things, the story yeah. and everything. Very cool. Great ending too, with just that black solid shadow of the alley there. These little chapter breaks are, are a nice airy touch, almost like a cover. Like these are comic books. Like mm -hmm. each chapter is a comic book story. And this is the cover to said comic book story. Wow, I didn't think about it before, but I mean, this that's a spirit splash page. Yeah. Beautiful. So this story, reading it, this is again going back to our, a super character, um, you know, guy operating this tenement building. And um, it it as we get into it, it's a dark story. But uh, think about Sin City as you're watching this one at home, because like this really could be a Sin City story. Everybody hates this guy. Of it's course. all it's all classic too. Like you know, you're not giving us heat, hot water. There's stuff broken, and I love how it opens with these again with these big single image pages. You know, splash pages, if you will. Even though they look very different than the splash pages I think of with Marvel Comics, but it makes this super like the first several times we see him, he's huge. I love the wrinkles in his face, or like his wrinkles in drapery that that Eisner does with the train tracks. Yeah. I also like how unruly his eyebrows are and stuff. He's an unpleasant guy no matter what. But yeah, a salty old cuss. Yeah. The only time he talks with people are probably when they're like complaining shit to him. Of course. Of course. I think of that all the time, these different occupations that are the worst because of the people that you deal with, it's at a bad time. Like anything in healthcare, I think would be really hard because you're dealing with people at their toughest moments. Uh, also, flight attendants I think, get a bad, a bad one. You know, I'm sure they're hearing a lot of complaints from uh, from people on planes. The last job I had, and the job that I'm continuously running away from for the rest of my life, was working at that call center. And people only call that kind of joint when they have a grievance or something. And then uh, I got in a position where I was so disaffected and didn't give a fuck that uh, I would take everybody super supervisor call so like i just walked the floor with my little headphones uh, around my neck and when people put their hand up i would jack into their phone and just tell people the bad news because i didn't care and it and it affected the other people like they would they would be basket cases the other operators and stuff they would like 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 the person on the phone was talking to them for real you know and i was could separate myself so easy but it did create a thing inside of me where i could turn off those emotions really, really easy. 
One of my neighbors is a um, he's a loan officer, so a lot of his stuff is calling people and saying, you didn't get the loan, yeah. or this is what's wrong. And uh, he describes it as, I got to go back to work and get yelled at. Totally, that's exactly <laughs> the, the deal. Sounds horrible, man. <laughs> Every day, and by the, get yelled at. And by the way, I did work on uh, 9-11 and got only three calls that day. And it was all people who were like, dude, what happened in New York? Am I still going to get my Marlboro raft in Jeez. two to three weeks? <laughs> yes, sir. All these uh, building shots, interior or exterior, are awesome. Yeah. So this is one of his tenants yelling about... You need to send up some steam for hot water. My poor niece is taking a cold shower, going to get pneumonia. Or a cold bath, I suppose. Keeps looking back at the girl as she's kind of like swiveling and those hips a touch. A little Dutch angle to show that something's askew down here. And what is it? Our porn addict super. Yeah, you know, it's real interesting. Acme Cool Ice. It's like, do these posters get sent with like some sort of, some sort of, uh, you know, like the cool that you put in the boiler and, and, you know, when, you, when you're shopping for coal, like, this is, like, a thing that, you know, like, it would be baseball cards and tobacco packs and titty ladies and coal. They, they, they're pretty explicit, too. I never thought about, like, when this is set, what time period. I wonder if this is more contemporary, like, 60s or something like that. I don't think so, man. Need to see some cars on the street or something. But uh, he's down there and, and <laughs> I guess, porn addict and alcoholic, maybe, but... Entering his his happy place. <laughs> That's real disturbing. And who shows up? Frank Miller's temptress. <laughs> right. Yeah, the film noir temptress. And what is she tempting him with? A little peek for a quarter. I see shades of Wallace Wood in uh, in her design. That yeah. Kind of uh, nymph character. Yeah. Sure. More good acting and stuff. And by the way, like, she, well, we're going to see it. <laughs> She's not quite as innocent as she may seem here. Yeah. Gives the dog a little attention. What's going on there? Oh, yeah. Can I give your dog a candy? Interesting, dude. We, we hit a new signature in the book, and now it's black ink. There's some inconsistency in terms of ink. I don't know if that's black or just the dark brown, but there, there'll be some pages in this book that uh, are super light. So yeah, I can't can't quite explain it, but uh, gives the dog some candy, and when the guy turns around, grabs his money box and takes off. <laughs> and when he turns around, dog's on its side, dying because uh, she poisoned it. <laughs> yeah. it, it. This is a Sin City comic, right? Totally. So he's furious. His only good thing in his life is pretty much that dog, the only friend that he has, and she's killed him. But she's also smart enough to get out in, into, the, into the public where he's the villain. Everybody hates him. And she's a little girl that looks like he's attacking her. Yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> Pretty good drawing there with your uh, the three-point perspective. Don't always see that. But it's the perfect thing of, like, it's just closing in on him. Yeah, and he's just, I mean, Eisner is just, he eyeballs this stuff. You know, if we if we put the ruler down, it's not going to the same vanishing point. He's just that, he's just good enough to be able to do that. This is an interesting page. So as, as things are all going wrong with him, he continues to perform his duties. Shoveling some coal onto the furnace. Well, man, you need to you need some heat, man, to turn that little turn Fido to dust. Eisner, I think, does a good job selling it. Yeah. Selling this. 
Yeah, the cops come showing up, man. Of course, they're Irish cops because it is uh, New York at that time. Pulls a gun out. Tastefully done. It's a piece of pop art right there. Tough story. Quite a few turns, I think, in this story. Super wanted as the girl's counting her, her ducats. Yeah. <laughs> the, the executioner there. <laughs> That's a wild story in the middle of this. Yeah. Not, not one I expected. And I think this is your big piece, like kind of the big, the biggest cast, a lot of different characters in different spots in their life going in different directions, but overlapping. Yeah. This feels like um, a real swing at a literary story. Yeah, for sure, man. Like these, these were the warm ups, and uh, to there, there are parts that, that uh, frankly, like do confuse me because I thought that you know this guy's working with the same girl and and a bunch, like they're all at the same office, but then they're not. <laughs> Yeah, and the story here is, um, I guess in the summers, you know, the middle class would maybe leave New York, go upstate, and the degree that, of, uh, I don't know, care that you would get yeah. so, so it was commensurate with what you could afford. So the lowest rung are these um, cookalines. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but pretty much where a farmer gives you access to the kitchen and then some living quarters so you can leave the city and go out in the country, but it's not quite as upscale as some of the resorts that people would go to. Yeah, it's not a hotel. And we're going to see both. We're going to see the nicer resorts, and, and we're also going to see one of the Coquilines. Yeah. We're going to see this girl. Like, and and uh, it seems like a running theme for most. It really is upward mobility, man. Like That's, that's what people are kind of shooting for, better positions. And if it's not in business... It's affixing yourself to, you know, a, a, some rich person. Yeah, and we see multiple generations. So, like, you get the young secretary who is looking for that husband, hopefully yeah. a wealthy husband, you know, to move up. And then you also see, like, the guy who's working here cutting furs and uh, has two kids and an unhappy marriage. And reference to whenever they got married and his wife was expecting a, a brighter future than what it's turned out to be. This is one of my favorite compositions in the whole book right here. First off, those windows look super solid. I was yes. like studying these these uh, these window frames and stuff. But seeing the uh, the adjacent building like through that window, it all feels really, really solid. I'm looking at the carpet that's a little bit up off the dirt, mm -hmm. uh, off, off the ground a little. Uh, it's set really well. Like, this is a beautiful drawing right here. Yeah, he shines on many of these compositions. You know, when he's got a few characters bouncing around a couple of rooms at once, it feels very cinematic, too. Got our nouveau riche dude who's trying to, who's putting on some kayfabe while he goes to the mountains by uh, renting a car. Yes. And our secretary bought a couple of uh, very expensive outfits, so it looks like she's coming from a good family, too. She's preening, man. Shaking them tail feathers. And then these are our, uh, our Cutter's two sons who will be leaving with his wife to, uh, to go to the Coquilin. Even the details to like the cabs and the trains and the suitcases is pretty fun. That cab, the uh, trunk is open but like tied shut. We see this fella play out a little bit. And it's one of those like weird like morality tales or whatever. It's, it's a tale that like, you know, every mom, mom tells their daughter or something. Yeah, some of it is over sim simple. You know, I guess it's melodrama. Yeah, but still, just good comics. It, it like where Will Eisner gets jammed up, and where people like, like, are sort of dismissive is when he when he gets really like on the high horse, and then when you read the stuff, to me, they're good comics, but they're not what he says they are. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, one of our main characters, he's going up there to play in the band saxophone, but really he's uh, studying for his medical exam. He's going to be a doctor. So doesn't look too good on the surface, but uh, a pretty good catch maybe if, if you were to hook up with him now as he, it's as an he investment. moves into the medical field. It's an investment, man. He's like a stock, you know, it might be, it might be low right now, but that shit's going to the moon once he, once he uh, does his residency. And everybody, like all those dudes that are working here, like wait, wait staff and one's like entertainment coordinator. So like dancing with all these married women, they're all teenage young men looking for girls. Yeah. What drawings? Dude. Yeah, that's fun. All of this. And, and, and it seems like he put the brush down in a, a lot work in a lot of this, like late, late part of the book, man. And beautiful pen work. All the different textures that you're getting. The stone, walls, all the foliage, the old wooden deck. It's so considered. And I mean, man, this room is just an evolution of like the little peasant hut kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? It's 50 years after that or something. Uh, Airbnbs. Well, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, 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 it's cool kind of thinking like how much of this stuff is still relevant. Like the super in the last chapter being a porn addict. I read that out of the Comics Journal's top 100 list. I was re reading their write-up for this and that's how they described him. And it's like, oh yeah, that's still, that still plays. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe better now than in it a, did in, yeah, in, in a the huge 70s. way, man. Jeez. For sure. Love that signage. Heck so of a letterer, fun. man. Heck of a litterer. And you can see, you know, this is the next uh, upscale resort. A little better than where our uh, working class family staying. Look at this fellow, man. Just making time with all the ladies. This is our aspiring secretary. Once again, meeting the would-be doctor, but doesn't know he's a would-be doctor at this stage. Thinks he's just a lowly musician. Uh, not really what she's there for. Yeah. Not her type. <laughs> And what a what a sucker he is, man! To even come back to the chick. I like some of these backgrounds too, where we see like the, uh, you know, the the mountains, the country setting, part of my full moon zine. Real employer of that physiognomy, or however you say it, kind of kind of thing, where where it's like the shape of a person's face is an indicator of their personality type and shit. Because, you know, this is like uh, snake-like. What's the what's the male version of coquette uh, rake? He's a rakish fella. Even these far away shots, it's just that goes back wrong. to that Mad Magazine Jack Davis kind of. Um, I mean, that's not that Jack Davis, but it does remind me of like a Mad Magazine line. Yeah, yeah. Fuck Sergio's like little yeah, little doodles. <laughs> Got to go back to the hood though. Yeah, so husband is, is uh, hosting the pinochle game because the wife and family are away. And uh, guess what? He's got to get out and see his mistress while he's got some free time. Yeah, all these guys, their whole families are gone. And and by the way, like all of the wives are like, listen, we know you're fucking. Like, we're going to be with the kids over here. Like, I don't know, clean up your mess when we get back or something. Pretty much. But even he, these guys are keeping it, keeping it secret from one another. Dude says you gotta go visit his aunt. Goes right upstairs. That seems a bit dicey. Yeah. This this continues this idea of uh, various various depictions of sex. Yeah, sure. And also uh, continuing the theme of the upward mo mobility, because this lady lives, you know, what, right upstairs, and is just waiting in the wings, man. Like, oh, you know, 
I'm waiting. It's been three years. Like, when are we going to, like, do something? There's a great moment early in this story when they're talking about what they're going to do for the summer. Yeah. And the wife has saved, I think, like $75. And he's like, how do you save that? How did you get to that? And she's like, two-day-old bread and, you know, like, all these different things that she would do. I have relatives old enough that, like, saving is a huge thing. And they do that, like, throughout their life where it's like, you made nothing. Like, how do you have any savings? But it's sacrifice. You know, it's like yeah. this... this uh, it feels real to me because I know people that live this way. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, dude? Because you're a cartoonist, same as me, man. Uh, and I think we live that same way just by virtue of working so much and not yeah. having time to spend. It's very loot. true. Because after a book, I'm like, how did that happen? A hundred percent. You can't, uh, you know, you're making money or you're spending money, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you're really working, I guess it is easier to save. Yeah. But I actually like that part. Like like it felt like a a very clear division of labor in a in a, in a family situation because like nowadays those, those lines are like it feels more murky or more blended because it's it's you know working families and like who's the one cooking like like all that kind of stuff but that really highlighted like what you know this the stay-at-home moms did like back in the day and you know my mom was a coupon cutter and shit growing up when when she when she was like more stay-at-home so uh, one of our husbands, I, I guess his boss, hears that his wife is stepping out at camp, and uh, he's going to sneak up there with him whenever he goes up on the weekend to visit his family. He's like, let me tag along. Yeah. Catch her red-handed. <laughs> and that's what we see. Our, our, uh, our young man who is the entertainment coordinator, this is the boss's wife. Yeah. And uh, you see like the other ladies in the background being like, hey, it's getting late. Do we get a turn? <laughs> And he's lying, man, saying he's 20 and stuff. But, like, when they show him, like, look, she should keep her hands off him. He's only 15. I mean, that looks like Superman. Yes. That looks like Clark Kent. Yeah, the uh, the wife the wife sends the boys out for the night, you know, like the husband's coming up. And so here we get a room to ourselves. But I don't know what she has in mind there. But, again, this to me feels like another one of these depictions of, of sex, right? Like, they've got two kids together. They're, I don't know, 15 years into their marriage or something. She works hard. He works hard. They're not really a, uh, at least she is not feeling the sexy. Yeah. How about that for sleeping accommodations, man? Well, the parents are, are in town, man. You got to send them to the barn. <laughs> More interesting that the boss's wife is willing to visit the barn. Yeah. She's being naughty, naughty. Yeah. And that's whenever the boss shows up. Of course, right? Right at that perfect Irving, moment. no. And, it, and of course, it is that scene in uh, Dolomite 2, The Human Tornado, when she goes, he made me do it. And I believe Dolomite says, quote unquote, bitch, are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> this is a pretty kind of wild scene, right? The boy watching like this married couple, first domestic violence and then leaving together. Yeah, and, and making a baby in front of him and stuff. Yeah, she's a kinky lady, man. Like, like she probably. That's that's it's extra, extra bonus to have a viewer. Yeah, interesting subject for Will Eisner. As you say, you always think of him as old. Yeah. Me too. So like, what are these stories that he's recalling here <laughs> and put it putting down? Like even this, like depiction of like like child sex and 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 this is an era certainly where like education. Sex education for kids is probably like fucking non-existent. 
You know what I mean? So they're putting boys and girls in beds. It's weird to read this as an adult and in our world, but it makes perfect sense as like kid memories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like that's a well-observed uh, comic, you know, almost as like a standalone strip or something. I'm surprised that page doesn't get reprinted whenever you look at Les Daniels books or something. Right. <laughs> Heck of a drawing of this girl. And once again, more of that physiognomy stuff. That's damn near Basil Wolverton. <laughs> right. Chinless. Also, uh, late era David Mazzucchelli. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that felt ma like Maz to me throughout this thing. I think that speaks to the com comics as language. Uh-huh. Absolutely, man. All right, so our car renter and our our aspiring secretary. Double upwardly mobile, and they're both going up there pulling scams. And now it's like, a, you know, two positive ions meeting. And then they both realize that it's bullshit. And yes. this dude is like, oh, oh, so, so you're not part of like a rich family? You don't got a rich dad who's going to hook us up with a dowry? Because I'm trying to get me some fatted goats and, and whatnot. The game has changed. I'm taking what I want. Yeah, it's a uh, shocking depiction of sexual assault. Yes. This is where things are, are, I think you struggle with the comics language that you've laid out so far in this book. Absolutely. This feels like the melodrama is a tough, has trouble handling this kind of a scene. Yeah, yeah, the, like the, the the figure work and stuff. It's it, it's It's like a cartoon, you know? Man, and how about those kids that snuck out and, and uh, witnessed this? Yeah. So the superhero comic was, you know, male power, power fantasies for like nine-year-old boys. And this is like the fantasy. This, I mean, this is um, that nerd, nerd fantasy. Charles Atlas, like at the beach kind of thing where the guy's like the savior. Don't worry, I'm a doctor. I'm... I'm going to be rich one day. It's all going to be okay. His name's Herbie. And all I could think of is Herbie the Fat Fury. <laughs> yeah. Kind of close. <laughs> Not that far off character-wise. <laughs> this round glasses. Like, a panel like that. That is that is Herbie as, uh, you know, an 18-year-old, 20-year-old. And then uh, using intellect to... Uh, using words to try to beat the villain. Yeah, I couldn't totally understand all of this. He talks about the guy having some sort of problem. Yeah, like, I'm a doctor. You didn't even put it in her. Like, you got a sexual issue. Right. And then he was like, Let's, how about we just never talk about it? And I think that that's probably how these kind of assaults were handled for the better part of the 20th century. Like, let's just say yeah, I never talk about it. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I think there's a lot of stuff in this book that feels that way of, like, how things would have been viewed socially yeah um it you know at the time of the book versus now mm -hmm. it's always interesting to me how much stuff stays the same but there are those things that change and i think that is a big one the way sexual assault would be uh, managed today versus then and and our our rapist getting right back in the saddle yes working on somebody else man yeah a diamond diamond heiress yeah i believe using some white media uh to cut in some grass blades and stuff he would be judicious with it like little bits here and there throughout the see this is one of those when i mentioned the ink this seems so light to me yeah. even compared to this page you know like that's clearly brown or sepia but much darker than what you're seeing here yeah i, I prefer the light to be honest because it, it just feels like an old tome 
Everybody's yeah, going back home, summer. man. How about that for uh, playing with your panel layouts? Yeah. Man, that's a heck of a drawing, that background. Wow. And we get to see... We get to see how everybody ended up. Yeah, yeah. No, like this is your full-on Sergio Aragones, Paul Coker. It's sketchy. Yeah. You know, almost like you're doing uh, plein air drawings. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I almost wouldn't doubt that he would do something like that, man. Or just like look at an old photograph and do it up. So everybody's getting what they wanted, man. She's she's gonna quit her job. She met a doctor. Our car renter guy. He's getting married to. Some diamond heiress. Little boys pining away. Yeah, he had quite a summer. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting to see him on the outside because his mom's saying, you know, like, dad's going to be on the road more. Uh, you're the man of the house now. And uh, you can almost see him weighing, like, what does that even mean? Like, after watching Mrs. and the boss resolve their yeah, so, or so, continue their marriage, like, he's sitting here, and I think it's like, I don't understand anything. <laughs> I feel like this might be a new page, man. It's possible. Yeah, I don't remember seeing this page in the OG. It's a great drawing. Love all that vertical lines and how he's able to make things out of it. Isolating it like that, uh, you know, these are like rapidograph lines, man. There's no, there's no life in them. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's that dead line, uh, and it reminds me of that like 1964 period Fritz the Cat, Robert Crumb, yes. where he would cut things in and he wasn't using crosshatch. This is not crosshatch. Right. This is just, I guess, hatching. Would you call it that? Sure. Like, like it's all the same, all the strokes are going the same kind of vertical to create the different values. Yeah, I love the drawing throughout this. It's mm -hmm. really impressive. I'm I'm thrilled to get to like look at this and talk about it, see what kind of comments come back on it just because it's that that piece, I mean, it's such a significant piece and it feels like every year this becomes more important to comics history. Yeah, I, I think it's just as a document for for that time, uh, you know, like sort of talking about that moment in history, I think it just becomes more and more important because like those people are just gone away. And that era of storyteller, watch the History Channel or something, man, when they're talking with like a D-Day or something and talk about veterans who were there. It The storytelling is there's a hyperbole man to 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 the storytelling like it's, it's you don't have to go back that stuff. far go go look at steven spielberg well i'm talking about like the guys of this era mm -hmm. you know like like uh the contemporaries of will eisner it is interesting because this comes out of that like new hollywood 70s time period the mm -hmm. actual book production and i mean there's that whole group and it's, yeah. they're all sort of that way of like this heightening of, of drama it's it's maybe a new melodrama it's method acting you know yeah. coming to the fore but it's still this heightened kind of way to present these stories and i think he must have been cognizant of that it must have been something that was on his mind the other thing um i think about with this when i was reading it this week is so it's eisner and eisner awards have just been announced I think there was a record number of publishers across the nomination, 60 something publishers. And it makes me think of the golden age. You know, like when we talk about golden age comics, one of the things that gets lost a lot is there were so many publishers working, you know, like if you were a cartoonist, you could, you could work for 20 publishers in a month and we're kind of moving back into that space now. And I think you trace it back to a book like this, because this is the model now. This is, you know, we we're getting into like a neo golden age of comics in that, they're comics for everyone. They're comics not everywhere exactly, but because they're sold through book trade, kind of everywhere, just not it's a, a drugstore or something where I used to buy comics. Now it's bookstores, it's online, it's all these different places. But again, it comes back to this vision Eisner had of like, 
we can we can put these books out as books right and it's really kind of uh you know sowing fruit at this point everything is almost equal now nowadays anyhow or we can't even kibitz about not being able to find comics out in the wild because i have to order baseball caps now if i don't want to go 20 right. 20 miles away from home to go to the nearest lids store or something yeah and i, I mean i think it too I, I i i grew up getting comics at the gas station at the bottom of the you know where i lived or something at the end of the street and it was awesome, but now it's like they're on your phone. Everything's available, like through Amazon or or whatever, or an app. You don't yeah. even buy them. You know, it's just there's just everybody walking down the street potentially has comics in their pocket. Yeah, it's a cool thing, man. Uh, another cool thing is that I see a life force is the the little middle piece here, and I do have the kitchen sink, the the original version of this, and the original of Dropsy Avenue. So I would like to look at some more Will Eisner in the future. Me too, because this stuff I got it. This was like the early two thousands. This is when we were started hanging out. I remember buying this from Phantom of the Attic. And uh, it, it didn't register. I was in my 20s. You know, I was a kid. It did not resonate with me. And now as I get older and loved ones getting older, the world's different. And I feel like I connect to this stuff more. So I would love to do more Will Eisner, these graphic novel works. Yeah, I was never a part of the Will Eisner hate squad. Uh, I always liked his comics for, for, for comics sake. Never put them in that category of some sort of like ultra sophisticated kind of, uh, you know, Fantagraphics type, um, subtle storytelling masterpiece or anything like that. They're just good comics. They're good reads. He talks so much about theater and I always like listen to David Mamet whenever I see him pop up on a podcast or something. Yeah. And, and he talks so much about theater and, you know, like you can see these commonalities, uh, in, in certain approaches and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a different sensibility, especially today, whenever cartoonists are so influenced by film it's a little bit different with Eisner, so pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Funny that you talk about like uh, you know that he must have been aware of that stuff in the '70s, because in that Eisner Miller book, and in post conversations with Miller, like he will say stuff like, "I tried to get the old fort to bite, but he just wouldn't say that he was into film at all. He wouldn't say he never would. I tried and tried, but he was never said he never looked at movies." Yeah, and you know, th there's also crossover with theater. So if he's a lifetime theater goer, he would have gotten some of that stuff. You know, Al Pacino's theater before he's movies. So right. you know, you you had some crossover with those. With when I say New Hollywood, New Hollywood came out of those theaters too. That's you true. know, so Eisner would have been conscious of that side of it. I'm sure. Good to go, Jimmy. Yeah. Okay, favors like follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. It's out there, man. Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness are both in stores now in comic shops everywhere. Uh, while supplies last, I am writing, drawing, coloring, lettering, doing the whole show, uh, reimagining or retelling the history of the Incredible Hulk 60 years, celebrating a lot of my favorite cartoonists that came through the Hulk. So pick that up now while you still can and join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see more of my comics. Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue one, two, and three on the stands as we speak. Murder on the dark web for fun and profit. Every uh, issue of Red Room is completely self-contained, a full story. So if you see an issue, scoop it up, give it a sample. If you dug it, scoop up another issue. Lots of them out there, man. It is banned in 28 countries. It is banned in 10 comic shops. But if you hit my link tree in the description below this video, you're going to be able to order and pre-order future Red Room comics. You can hit up my Patreon to read those comics today. More than 200 pages in the archive as we speak. And uh, all for the price of three bucks with new strips every Tuesday. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist KFAB newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist KFAB t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. That's another great way to support the Cartoonist KFAB channel. Given those marching orders, dude, we'll be on our way. Read more comics.